0: Welcome to the Evolving Advisor Podcast, dedicated to equipping independent financial advisors with the tips, insights, and knowledge to help you achieve success in business and life. Host Jeff Concepcion shares 30 years of experience as an advisor, entrepreneur, and CEO. Join Jeff and the industry's top thought leaders as they help you evolve from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow. Now, here's your host, Jeff Concepcion. Hi, this is Jeff Concepcion of the Evolving Advisor Podcast, and I'm thrilled to have as a guest today a good friend and collaborator that I've gotten to know quite well over the last couple of years. That's Amelia Garland, who is the head of professional buyer and RIA relationship management. Amelia uh, is the head of relationship management for CityWire with a demonstrated history of working in the financial services industry. She spent a lot of time on market research mutual funds, audience development, and marketing. And the last few years, she spent a tremendous amount of time in the RIA space on the road, really getting an inside look at some of the best practices in the industry and understanding their inner workings, which we're really excited to tap into today. She has a Bachelor of Arts degree focused in International Studies and German Studies from Elon University. And again, it should be a real pleasure. She's got a lot of energy. It's always fun to engage with her. And, And thanks for carving out some time, Amelia, to visit with us today.
1: Thanks so much, Jeff. I am very excited to be here today. And I have to first say, I was listening to your podcast with Ron, the episode that just launched, and I loved what he first said about you because it's exactly how I feel. You are truly one of the nicest people in the industry I've come across. And I have a great story to touch on quickly before we start. Sure. Uh, When I came to, I'm sure you of course remember, when I came to Cleveland to visit the firm and, and a few others and we bonded about how we both forgot or lost our licenses and couldn't rent a car at the airport and you, yours has happened earlier mine happened when i got when i got to ohio so i was ubering all over and jeff you lent me your car and you let me drive around to meetings all over cleveland saved many expensive uber rides for me and the company. And that is just a testament to how kind you are as a person and and helping out in when, you, when you're in need. And I didn't crash the car, left it in one piece, but that is that is one of my, my favorite Jeff Conception stories thank to you, start honey. out with.
0: <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Now, it was a pleasure to have you visit. And I'm really glad that you're with us today because I think in your young career, you've really had a chance to get a good look under the hood of the RIA marketplace, and I want to hear a little bit about that. But I'd rather start off talking a little bit about your career and CityWire specifically because they're relatively new to the States, yet their, their brand is well-known because I think you guys have been really thoughtful and aggressive in, in kind of collaborating in the RIA space. So talk a little bit about your tenure there and their entrance to the States and how they've become a well-recognized brand in a pretty short period of time.
1: Yes. Yes. So, well, I love sharing the CityWire story, of course. Personally, I've been at the company for four years, joined on April 1st of 2016. So it's an endless April Fool's joke to the company. (laughs) But we've been as a business in the US since 2013. We actually celebrated our 20-year anniversary last year, which is pretty incredible. So given, given our presence in the UK, Europe, and Asia, When we came over to the States in 2013, we initially focused on working with the financial advisors dealing with offshore investors. And that was primarily around Latin America. And then we then expanded our business to focus on the domestic folks, on those domestic investors. And it was actually right around when I joined. So when the DOL rule first finalized in beginning of April 2016, I mean, we know what happened with that. But it really showed us the importance of the investment function at the firm. So we got to know the investment communities in the U.S. at the big global private banks, at the wirehouses. as There was a huge trend of the research function shifting away from the front-end advisor back into the home office. So advisors were relying more on the recommended lists of mutual funds, ETFs, SMAs, on the model portfolios more so than ever before because of this ruling. And in September 2016, we launched our first title in the U.S., our professional buyer publication, along with a website, daily email newsletter, showcasing this investment community. And when we were covering it for the first two years, these analysts, these investment research folks, um, we just, we started to notice so many, not, not even just the advisors, but the analysts were leaving to join the independent RIAs. And it was happening so frequently. We were writing about it all the time in our news. We realized it was towards the end of 2017, beginning of 2018. We're like, we need to build a new channel focusing solely on the independent RIAs as it's such a growing part of the industry. And in September of 2018, uh, we love love the month September. We launched our first Citywire RIA publication with Ron Carson of Carson Wealth on the on the front cover. And we spent the year traveling before we launched it, meeting with these RIAs and we first, you know, get to know the investment that's, that's the first bit. The investment functioned first and foremost. But we learned about the founding stories and why they broke away. And it was so interesting hearing, firstly, they on the investment side, they were so sick and tired of relying on those recommended list of funds, on the model portfolios. They wanted the freedom to invest where they thought best fit for their client. And this rapidly growing RIA community reflects the essence of the new investment era. they open to fresh ideas, they're ready to be judged by what they do rather than what they say. And they completely value autonomy. So we spent the end of 2017 to 2018 meeting with all these RAEs, learning about their story, learning about how they thrive, how they differ, focusing just on how how they survive, you know, how they how they left, how they built their business. And we started producing this content. And Jeff, as you were saying, it really picked up. I mean, we profiled We started focusing on RIAs from 250 to 2 billion in AUM, as that part is so fragmented in the industry, and they're all over the country. Those the smaller firms, and we put you know big leaders like yourself on the cover, like Ron, like Matt Cooper of Beacon Point, to so those so the smaller firms could learn you can break a billion, you can build a practice, you you don't have to stay at that size. These are the tips, these are the tools. So we. We learn about the stories. We're really storytellers at CityWire. And we show the importance of investments within it all. But the RIAs has been such an exciting place to cover and our journalist team has been breaking news I mean every day about new breakaways, different PE backings at firms, new acquisitions and it's so exciting to be on the forefront of this because this is where the industry's headed. the independent RAAs are the future, and we have the chance now at CityWire to we have the chance to create a dedicated proposition for them and, and we've done so the last last two years. Um, so it's, it's a great job for me. I travel almost every week. Well, I used to, at least before we all came into lockdown. And um, yeah, really building up my knowledge on the space.
0: Yeah, it's pretty interesting to think about the evolution. So going from a really narrow niche, right? Financial advisors working with offshore investors. And that's kind of a interesting realm all of its own because not all broker dealers, not all firms, not all custodians play well in the international client space. They have varying degrees of skill and then evolving sort of more broadly. And then to your credit, really, identifying this trend towards independence and RIAs and recognizing that's probably to a degree an underserved space, because maybe some of your peers would cover it a bit, but you guys are sort of, Dove, you know, straight into that pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's <clears throat> I think it was insightful. So, not only are you guys sharing content, but I think you're also doing a great job of educating. So maybe talk about Citywire not just as a publication, but also come at some of the workshops and some of the other ways that you interface with business owners in the RIA space.
1: Yes, it's, it's a great question. So. We have, as I mentioned, just the the publication, the the news, which helps RIA's just learn more about what their peers are doing in the industry. But we also host, and we've been we we've been actually hosting these virtually now, given the current situation. But we host these events, and they're they're workshop led events. It's the investment focus again, but we host three a year for RIA specific in DC, Scottsdale, and in Austin, Texas, and. These events are, first of all, made for RIAs to network with one another, to get to know how their peers are allocating, what challenges they're facing, and how they can help each other. Um, So it's a great networking opportunity. And on top of it, what we do at these events, we have the asset managers, sponsors, so they're presenting different strategies to these RIAs. So they get to hear new, fresh investment ideas over a day and a half. But also, we have these incredible keynote speakers. And I'm, of course, going to highlight, Jeff, because you've been on a panel, um, the Alliance for RIAs, which Jeff's a part of, which is a leading study group. Of some of the biggest RIA founders in the industry. We've had them speak at our panel and they talk about their multi billion dollar practices. They talk about what happened when they first started in their career and really give hope and aspiration to firms that are struggling. And all of these resources are for the RIA so they can better lead in their practice, so they can come back and say, you know, I just. Found out about this investment strategy that can help this client in this market cycle, or I just met, networked with Jeff Conception of Stratos Wealth and Ron Carson of Carson Wealth and Matt Cooper of Beacon Point, and they told me this is what we need to do to help with our revenue structure or change our business model. And they really get to see the scope of the industry from the smallest firms there to the biggest of the big, and everything exists for free for the RIA, and and that's what what we do globally. We write. And produce content. It's made for and by the RIA. So everything we do, our publication, our news, what we write about, it's to help the RIAs and the asset managers, they sponsor our content, our magazines, our news, our events, and we give that access to them for free. And along with that, we host I mean, we have so many neat roundtables we're hosting with big leaders in the industry, with with projects on MA and trends, and really get to teach the RAs how to best handle these challenging times and we bring incredible industry leaders in to showcase that. So it's that's one of many ways we do so but um our content's definitely a huge way that RAs can have an, you know get an advantage and see what others are doing. Everyone has a fascination of what their peers are doing and we at Citywar give you know give people the opportunity to really read and read and understand that.
0: So before we dig into kind of what you've seen as you've been out there visiting all these firms, we've talked a little bit about CityWire, but I'd like to kind of ask for your perspective. So I had a great, great conversation in a recent podcast with Lisa Motti from Wisdom Tree, and, and I couldn't help but acknowledge the fact that I have a 22-year-old daughter who's graduating in a couple weeks, not a traditional graduation, unfortunately, because of, (laughs) as you mentioned, the interesting times we're in. But I know she's always encouraged when she sees young women having a lot of success in finance and in our industry. And you're a great example of someone who's, you know, newer to the industry, but has a lot of responsibility. So when you think about diversity and success, and Elisa, you know, couldn't state how clearly and how important it is for young women to come into the industry, to come into finance and wealth management. And what would you say are some of the key attributes? Obviously you've got great energy. You're a student of the industry. You're always learning and reaching out, but what advice would you have to young women who are thinking about wealth management or women who are already engaged in the industry Mm -hmm. about kind of your trajectory and what's helped serve you uh, as you've grown as a professional?
1: So, being a woman in the industry is is definitely it's it's challenging at times right there's not a lot I go to industry events and there's there's definitely far and few of us i mean the big thing is stick together know who the females are and find leadership and mentorship in them they can give you stories share wisdom i've i've found so many incredible mentors at industry events and learn from them on how to navigate the space when they've been in the industry for 20 plus years so find your mentors in this community that are are females and they will they will really help you thrive and and can be there for you in challenging situations i'll also say and this was something i had to learn i learned very early on but Always ask questions, even if you don't think, you know. There, I know it's like a silly thing. Like, there, you know, it doesn't sound like the smartest question, and you have to know everything. And I, I have my family's in the asset management industry, so I grew up learning about emerging market corporate debt from my dad, and all about mutual funds and where I should be investing right now. Um, so I was fortunate in that sense, but I by far did not know everything about this, the investment side of things. I didn't know when we got to the RIAs about different revenue models, fee structures. And I just started asking, I mean, people want to teach. And I think it's being a female too, you want to prove yourself all the time that you are the smartest, you are the brightest, you know, you got here and, and it's, it's hard, right? There's a lot, it's male dominated, um, but people want to help you. And I think when you kind of take away that, kind of that, that vision of of yourself in the industry and you start focusing on the people in it that, that are there, you can find so many incredible connections and so many people that can teach you, um, teach you as well, but you have to, you can't be afraid to ask and also challenge yourself. I mean, God, do things you're afraid of. I always try to do something I fear. I, I mean, whether it's hosting a round table on an class I know nothing about and spending all night researching on it and sweating profusely before it starts. But just keep doing things that challenge you. People will start to notice you. People will start to notice the people that put the most in, that are fearless. And and, also, and lastly, and this is something it's, it's difficult to do, but you know, be vulnerable, be true to yourself, show your vulnerability in this, in this industry. People are always afraid to, but you can tell who the genuine people are and and female or male, those are the people that succeed. So it's, it's definitely, it's, it's hard. It's, it, it's challenging to navigate the space as a female to learn about, you know, what to do and you're at an industry and, you know, industry conference and, and things happen. Right. But you, 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 You find the mentors, you find the leaders, and don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to be yourself, and shine as bright as you freaking can. That's yeah, what I that's, try to well, do.
0: No, there's some great pearls of wisdom there, right? So just an intellectual curiosity to learn, not yep. being afraid to be vulnerable, because if you're younger and newer in the business, you're not going to know everything. And the only way to learn is to ask exactly. questions. Yep. You said one thing that really struck me, by the way, and that's preparation. If you're going into a round table, you can go in and try and wing it. But one of the things I was most proud about my daughter, who had a great internship experience with Fidelity last summer, was the preparation. Mm-hmm. So she Beyond researched and then went in with a level of knowledge when they were doing these mock presentations that I really don't think that her peers had It was because of that tenacity and preparation to say hey, I don't know what I don't know But i'm going to go in knowing the most that I can so again, it's that professional approach, even early in your career, that can make you stand out. So mm-hmm. just the mentorship, lots of great stuff. So some great pearls of wisdom. And I appreciate you, you sharing that. And from an outsider's view, I think you're doing a great job executing on those things as well. Oh, Thanks. So, so 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 let's it. switch let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about you know, having had a chance to visit over the last several years, lots of RIAs. Mm -hmm. What are you sort of seeing as the learnings in terms of the firms that are growing the fastest and executing the best? What Mm -hmm. are the winners doing that others who might be aspiring but not accomplishing are not doing? Are there a couple things that you see in the way of execution that you think define best-in-class RIAs? Yep.
1: And so, some of the certain characteristics or attributes that i've seen that really showcase or highlight the successful firms out there there's a handful, but I really want to hone in on on a few so firstly, having a niche so having a niche client base, having a niche expertise you see in so many rias marketing i mean everyone says we 're a fiduciary, you know we put our clients first, but that that doesn't cut it this you have to have be a differentiator for your peers so For the client side of things, whether it's for life transition, divorcees, athletes, medical professionals, what have you, find that niche and focus on it, focus on it as a firm. And I have a great story on that. So when I first kind of realized this too about what I saw like a really successful firm – so when I was in Birmingham, Alabama, which, by the way, is a great spot to visit, highly recommend going to Saw's Juke Ju- Ju- Joint, <laughs> it's a really great barbecue, but I was out there meeting this RIA, around $700 million in assets, and they focus on students starting out in medical school. So they work with them from the start on finding efficient ways to reduce their student loan, acting as a personal CFO, give advice on buying a home, a practice, develop develop the right retirement plan. And then by the time they become a doctor, they pay off the loans, they have a sufficient source of income coming in. You have a you have a loyal client. Not only do you have a loyal client, you have a client that works at a hospital, works at an office, and they will share your firm with the others, you know, and and share the story that you worked with them when they had nothing to where they are today. So that's an example of, you know, focusing right on the medical professionals and working with clients in all aspects of their life, if they're struggling or they're at the top of their career. And that loyalty, it helps clients. It helps, it helps bring in client retention, which is always a challenge every year. The next step, which is always, God, it's always talked about, but I I have to highlight it, of course, succession planning. And I was listening to to a couple of your podcasts, Jeff, and it gets brought up, right? The average age of a financial advisor is, is 55 now, and most are planning to retire in less than 10 years. But the ones, the successful firms that I've seen that have the highest client retention, are advisors that have made a plan. If handing their book over, they brought an advisor in before they've left. There's a plan in place. The clients feel secure. They know what's happening because there's nothing like you retire and there's no plan set in stone that doesn't let, leave the clients feeling good, and it probably causes them to leave the firm and go to one of your peers. So, having a plan is always crucial. We hear about this enough in the news, but I've just I've seen that I've seen it. I've seen the retention they've had with the firms that have the plan. And lastly, I think I can go into a million points here, but a huge one for me is the culture and firms that surround themselves with business owners and not employees. And I mean that in that they give them the opportunity to not only have a stake in the firm, but they treat everyone as as owners, as as partners. And that really translates into the next point, which is building a presence on social media. So if you have a strong culture, you can feel it. And that comes from the leadership. And J- Jeff, to use you as an example, when you walk into a room at Stratos, you can feel that you bring the, the room to life. You do. You have that presence. You have those those leadership skills. But it's something you can't teach people. I mean, no one knows how to become an entrepreneur, how to become a leader they don't teach you that in school they don't definitely don't teach you that when you join a warehouse or a bank but the people that succeed the most have the strongest leaders and it it shows in the whole company and there's great firms out there that you know post company picks you know all over the country of them collaborating together and you can feel it and in a virtual world we live in today it's it's so it's so important to show that show that side of your business so and also will help like reach a younger client base. If if you have like a next generation um, advisors coming, if you have younger folks joining your firm, you'll understand how to work with those younger folks when there's that transition of wealth as well. So, you know, work with the people. Treat everyone as I mean as equals. We know that, but. Treat them like business owners, partners, not, not employees. And I love this quote. I want to end it with this. I heard this at an industry conference last year from Cheryl Penny, uh, Dynasty Financial Partners, who is a walking quote book. But he said, fire the asshole, change the culture. And that is, I think, a great <laughs> – just a great way because there are people, we all, we've all met them that – can definitely hinder the firm to grow and and stop that that culture from thriving, um, and can stop people from joining and make clients advisors leave. So that's always I love to use that line. I keep using it now since since September when I heard it.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of great stuff there, right? So that concept of serving a niche, I mean, define the niche, right? Understand who are you really building yourself to serve, mm-hmm. master that niche, understand their needs because they're going to be unique. And that's really a great example about sort of owning these folks before they're really even capable of being clients when they're you know, students. And when you sort of own their mindshare and you're kind of teaching and guiding them along the way, you build these lifetime loyal, clients. So I really, I like that concept of developing a niche, makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And you've talked about succession planning, but one of my takeaways from that is really building a multi-generational practice, one that can live beyond you because you're not only creating continuity for yourself, but for your clients. And there's a reassurance that after me, there's something else here to care for you, to care for your children and your grandchildren. And I think it's also a good point, Amelia, that the firms that are really the most thoughtful and that really are businesses, not lifestyle practices, are thinking about creating a firm that can continue. And they're also thinking about creating enterprise value, not just collecting a paycheck.
1: Exactly. 100%. So
0: you talked about culture and that's really, really important. And a term that I think, you know, you mentioned Ron's podcast coming out today, one that people look at is a term that he uses. And I think many other people use as well, stakeholders. So these aren't employees. These are individual contributors. In many cases, they're owners, but people have to feel like they can have an impact on the firm. If they're just there to kind of push paper and do a job, you're Mm -hmm. not going to get the best from them unless you have an environment where they feel they have a voice, you want to listen, and you're actually going to be willing to take their advice. So, some really, really great thoughts. And let's just flip that a little bit. And so, we're talking about what do the best firms do, but you visit firms, sometimes firms that are quite successful. Are there any things where you see kind of clear misses? Is there a mistake or two that sometimes people can make in how they operate their RAs that would preclude them from reaching the greatest level of success?
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely the ones that I or challenges I've seen, and this goes into the success stories as well, the ones that have the capabilities to have this, it's an inability to use technology to its full capacity. And and I think more than ever, I mean technology is Firstly, it's it's a cost-effective solution, but you have to find the right one. So, you have to be far more sophisticated in understanding technology now more than ever. And the challenges I've seen in firms that that are struggling, um, it's having inadequate integration, an inability to customize technology to the advisor's needs, um, which you know would explain the first issue and. I think you either need to have I mean CTOs are very expensive but or outsource that part of it. So the firms that I think aren't really you know stepping up or or you know breaking that that firm size that they want to get to it's technology is a big part of it. and it's it's something that a lot of firms struggle with and it's it's finding the right solutions and there's there's great people out there like Michael Kiz is with nerds IV he's also been on your podcast he offers great solutions for advisors out there um, new technology launching every day but it's hard to find that cost efficient solution there's it's a cost center for all the firms
0: but it's it's and, it's a, you're bringing up a great point here so it's there's a cost right but there's also a benefit so yep. if you're a CEO you're and you're really trying to run a business and not a lifestyle practice, you have to make investments in the business and Mm -hmm. and it's really interesting. And and I think you're onto something here. It's, subscribing to a technology, but then it's integrating it. It's understanding it. It's pushing Mm -hmm. it out into your business, right? So you don't want to have a CRM and not have the capacity to tweak and modify and teach and train your whole team how to use it or have a billing or performance system or any of the key technology tools. So it's one thing to sort of buy it. It's another thing to adopt it and make it work and integrate it because you can lose two thirds of the power. You can be a you could subscribe to Salesforce, but lose two thirds of the power unless you're really every day driving to implement it and refine it. And And I do think you bring up a good point. So the firms that are complacent, they're just comfortable doing things the way that they do it. And they're not challenging themselves to offer more, deliver more, explore new technologies, are the ones that can fall behind. I think that's kind of what you're, what yeah. you're leading towards.
1: And I mean, it's education too, right? You can have an incredible service, right? A CRM system. But if your advisors, if your employees don't know how to use it or implement it, then what is, you know, what's the point in the cost? So following through with that is really crucial. And and Jeff, you mentioned life coaching a bit, which I think right now it's super, it's so interesting talking to RIAs because a lot of these business models are shifting. I think they're trying to shift. Away from an investment-centric model to more holistic, to offering kind of an overlay of that life coaching, behavioral finance, understanding you know the emotions behind the investing more than ever. You can't just offer financial planning, you know, especially now. And I've, I saw this before this coronavirus hit with the market volatility. I that was a big fear for everyone with the volatility happening. But even last year, just models shifting because you have to ha- you have you to understand your clients so much more than ever. I mean, you, can- you can't just do a standard risk profile on their investing if they're conservative or moderate or aggressive. You have to know why they feel that way. And I think your your role even becomes, I mean, it's, ther- it's a therapist in some ways too with them, but you can't just offer financial planning now. And seeing those models shift and seeing the challenges firms face that can't have that overlay, that don't have the scale to do so, that's difficult. And you'll see a lot of the bigger firms like yourself, like like all the ones out there that are able to, that, that's the winners, right? That they can do that, that they can offer those services for their clients. And smaller firms are looking for for those firms for advice or you know to become a part of the firm. But that's a big one just on that life coaching you mentioned.
0: Um, no, that's, seen. You know, that makes a lot of sense. So is there anything that we haven't talked about that's top of mind that you think we should be sharing? That's kind of a broad question, but (laughs) anything top of mind?
1: I think the last thing is, and I want to bring up investments because we are such an investment centric firm. Um, We we always focus that, but a lot of the RIAs too that I've seen are very successful is they have the best in class solutions for their clients when it comes to investments. So whether it's from capital markets, you know, to asset allocation down to individual, you know, the mutual funds, ETFs, the SMAs. So having a team that really focuses on, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be losing clients to go back to the wires, to go back to the banks for those recommended lists of investments. You should have those offerings. And you know, a lot of the firms I meet with they don't have, you know, maybe even a CIO, or they don't have a big research function yet, and there's it's more in the smaller scale, of course. You know, they've just broken out. They're figuring out, you know, the different teams they're going to build. But having those solutions is so important, and and a, and in all these market environments, you, you Jeff, you've lived through so many different market cycles. But having a veteran, right, an investment veteran, having that top talent is is so important, and. I see it in in firms that are struggling. That don't. Um, they don't know the different performance of funds in various market cycles. That don't know the comparison and and even from a top down approach. So that's I think the last point I'd l- I wanted to touch on. Um, yeah, building out those teams. I know it's it's always hard to you know add more staff and and build up that that infrastructure. But those that's really crucial for growth in this especially in this market.
0: Yeah, and what we've talked about in a a few of the previous podcasts and in many other settings is you have to put yourself out there as a big firm to compete with the big firms, even if you're not a big firm yet, right? And if you can't afford to have a CIO, then you have to be really thoughtful about how do you leverage other resources in the industry from great sponsor partners and content and other research lists and your clients gotta have that great investing experience, even if all the talent and insight isn't coming from inside your own four walls. You have to find out how to deliver. That experience in the most efficient way. Yeah. So, and
1: man, this is—I mean, this is a battle of the future. Um, John Fury always says that, so we, I have to bring him into this too. He's an yeah,
0: absolutely—he's
1: an unbelievable consultant. It's—it's it's a race for talent. There's more firms firms than ever ever. So find find that niche, build out the team, believe in the people, and and you'll succeed. Right? Have the leadership to succeed.
0: So speaking of talent. <laughs> There's been a question, and maybe more of a rumor than a question, that because you are so engaging and outgoing, that you that you sort of have a lineage from the stage. You're not actually related to Judy Garland, are you?
1: Uh, I can't. I, I hate to debunk this myth now, but I have to... <laughs> There is no relation but
0: Okay, lives of an Jukes. Okay, so even yep. though you're not officially related to them, but it is still fair to say that you have been groomed to sing and maybe before you share your musical talents with us, you can tell us what put you in counseling at a young age. Is your family had you performing to other family members? You have to just give us a a 60-second background on that story before we lead into closing with Podcast Karaoke.
1: Yes, so I'm from the UK originally. Lost the accent, of course, as you can tell, but we go back every year to visit everyone. So from a young age, my parents wanted us to be the Von Trapp family. So they rehearsed various songs with us. Um, I have three brothers to sing. And one of the ones we would always have to perform when we went to visit my aunts, my uncles, my grandparents was love. And as everyone knows, L is for the way you look at me. It goes through, you spell out love, you describe each letter. And I, my brother was L, I was O, my other two brothers were V and E. And we had to perform it in every single house. And, you know, I know the words now by heart. And frankly, we we do knock it out of the park because we've done it so many times. But... It did, it did bring me, started my therapy
2: very young, just the force them to sing. <laughs>
0: but the beauty of that is you're now probably better equipped for podcast karaoke than you would have been had your folks not encouraged that. And I have to think that maybe there's a venue where we're <laughs> going to reunite, like the Osmond event, we're going to reunite you and your siblings and maybe get maybe get you to perform that. But instead, today, share with us what you're going to sing on our podcast yes. karaoke.
1: So this, has, this is a quick story, too. It won't be too long. So I'm choosing Don't Know Why by Nora Jones. Awesome. So, Along with being forced to sing by my family, I also discovered I did love to sing. I would, was in chorus. I would belt out the last note in every song, would always get in trouble, but nonetheless was definitely fearless in my singing, which was mostly very off, you know, very tone deaf, but I, I performed well, I thought, and when I got into high school, we had this Harbor Blues—they're an a cappella group at our high school—and one of the the songs I performed for my audition was "Don't Know Why" by Nora Jones. Now, Betsy Bergeon did not let me into the choir, or the, sorry, the the a cappella group, but I needed to have this chance of redemption. So, Betsy, if you're listening, this one goes out to you. <laughs> I'm
0: gonna I'm gonna be sending this to Betsy to let her know what she missed out on with her poor judgment.
1: Yes, I'm ready.
0: (laughs) Thank you, buddy. It's all yours.
2: Thanks, Jeff. Waited till I saw the sun. I don't know why I didn't come. I left you by the house of fun. Don't know why I didn't come. I don't know why I didn't come When I saw the break of day I wish that I could fly away Instead of kneeling in the sand Catching teardrops in my hand My heart is... Drenched in wine, but you'll be on my mind for ever. Out across the endless sea, I would die in ecstasy to see. But I'll be a backbones driving down the road alone. My heart is drenched in wine, but you'll be on my mind for
0: ever (laughs) thanks for listening to the evolving advisor if you enjoy the show please subscribe and share it with your colleagues and if you would like to talk about succession planning or practice acquisitions please drop us a line we would love to help you in any way we can